0: All right, hi, my name is Jay Chiro. I beat the often path by literally doing the opposite of what everyone else around me is doing.
1: Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unique and inspiring success stories to help us think outside the box with our lives and careers and help us realize that there's more that we can do for the planet and for ourselves. Well, joining me today is Jay Giroux, the CEO and founder of Damon Motors, and he's an award-winning mobility entrepreneur, speaker, and inventor. You might not know this about me, but I got roped into motorcycles by a good friend who convinced me to watch MotoGP some years ago. I've always enjoyed watching the sports, and the future of particularly electric motorcycles is just so exciting to me. Well, Damon builds all electric motorcycles that feel like they come straight from the future. They're super cool when you learn more about them, they're so tech-focused it's awesome and they're very safe. They've raised tens of millions in funding, and they've won numerous awards from Popular Science, CES, and many more. But most importantly, learn how Jay himself found a life and career of meaning with plenty of twists and turns along the way. So here's Jay Giroux of Damon Motors. Well, welcome to the show, Jay. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm really, really delighted to chat with you here in a second. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thank you. It's good to be on.
1: So this is one of those rare times for those who are just listening only where somebody is not in front of a Zoom background. He's actually in front of two of the sickest motorcycles you'll ever see. <laughs> At first, I thought it was just an image, but no, it's the real deal.
0: Where are you right now? I'm in the design lab downstairs. So this is the, uh, this is the rest of the design lab downstairs.
1: For those listening, it's some prototypes of motorcycles. It looks like a kind of like the Bat Cave. Would you say a little bit (laughs) we got
0: to paint up everything black.
1: (laughs) It's giving a little bit of those vibes, just endless technology (laughs) all around motorcycles, headlights on in the background, gorgeous stuff. So before we jump into how specifically you've done the opposite of what everybody (laughs) told you throughout your life, um, Uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do now and what your current project is.
0: Well, mostly what I do now is I raise money because the company spends it really fast. And, uh, and then I, I, I put probably my second most amount of time into um, defining, shaping, and leading a culture that I care very deeply about. Uh, and there's no rule book for how to do that. Actually, there's one. And it's by the founder of Netflix. And the book is called No Rules Rules by Reed Hoffman. Uh, cool. And uh, yeah, that's definitely a really good read. Um, and then the third thing I do is I promote the company like this. Those are probably the three big buckets of what I actually do to be very literal to your question.
1: Sounds good. And what is the company for those who don't know?
0: As Damon motors, we're making high performance, all electric motorcycles that are the safest and smartest in the world.
1: That I can agree with that. I've seen the website, I've seen the videos. It looks absolutely insane. Um, What are some of the innovations that you're bringing to motorcycles in
0: general? Well, there's a long list. Um, but it starts with, um, you know, per, for me personally, I'm on a mission to help get the world off oil. So it starts yes. with that, getting the world off oil. Uh, what a lot of people just don't know and don't, I therefore, don't appreciate is that the world depends on motorbikes. Actually, literally depends on motorbikes. Over mm-hmm. 100 mega cities worldwide, and a mega city is defined as 10 million people or more. There's over 100 of those, if you can believe that, where the motorcycle is by and large the only way to get around. The sidewalks. Are not walkable they're not rideable by bicycle because they're covered in motorbikes the kids do not uh i've seen it for myself and uh and so the world needs to get around on two wheels the emissions contribution from motorcycles is far greater than that of cars because motorcycle engines are not are not emissions governed nearly to the extent that cars are uh, and then of course the safety aspect of motorbikes that goes without saying it's uh, astronomically more likely you'll be in an injury or death on a motorbike than by car worldwide and so, at the intersection of uh, getting the world off oil and safety, is where Damon will make its future.
1: Sounds good. And the two-stroke engine, right? One of the most polluting engines. A lot of uh, cities in the world are still operating on transport that functions on one of those, right?
0: Yeah. Well, whether it's two-stroke or four-stroke, um, they're not. They're not. Uh, there's no catalytic converters on the average two, three thousand dollar motorbike. So there's just the particulates just shooting up the tailpipe all day long.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. So what are some examples of these mega cities? What's one that you've been to that needs motorcycles?
0: Bangkok, uh, Mexico City, uh, Jakarta, uh, which I haven't been to all of these, you know, New York needs motorbikes, for God's sake. But, you know, even though New York has extraordinarily high congestion at 1,200 people per square mile, it's like nothing. I mean, Jakarta is 75,000 people per square mile. And with that kind of human density in the houses around the streets and in the streets themselves, you can't drop a car in there. The car will come to a dead halt immediately. It, it, it literally, matter of factly, takes three times longer to get from A to B in a car than it does by a motorcycle in Jakarta.
1: So cool! What a great observation. So, how did you get involved in this? What was your path to creating this company? I mean, obviously, it's insane, super amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, my my the more the more the uh, uh, near term or short term path led to this was taking a hiatus from my last company, Mogio, and going to my best friend's wedding in Jakarta, where he moved to for surfing. He went to Bali, ended up at Jakarta, met a girl. You know, there's no surfing in Jakarta, but, but women trump surfing even, believe it or not. <laughs> so he moved to Jakarta and he had a wedding there. And I rode a motorbike there for nine days and dodged everything under the sun uh, and had an accident and nearly drowned in the ocean at his honeymoon. Uh, it's a long story. But, uh, but that woke me up to like, hey, these people matter and this world matters. And it's easy to take this very, I would say, egocentric Western attitude that, you know, the, uh, the, the massive low to middle class of people in developing countries around around the world, you know, I hate to say it, but sort of, we, we act like they don't matter as much. They don't need Mm -hmm. safety technology. They don't need to be as safe as people are in cars here today. And they don't care about their safety. I've heard that a thousand times course they care about their safety. There's just no option. You can't go to a dealership and buy a safe motorcycle. And that became this like huge punch in the face for me, um, that they're not afforded safer vehicles, safer transportation, because the manufacturers of motorcycles today don't offer it. And I that's a, just a disgusting fail on the, on the, on on behalf of the OEMs of the world today. I think it's a, it's a terrible disservice to the world. And so that really, you know, set me in motion.
1: And we see those photos, uh, the videos of people who are riding and they've got two kids on the front of some little motorbike, two kids on the back uh, carrying yeah, a bunch yeah. of stuff. And, and we it's say, oh, like that's quaint. That's, 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 that's cute. Yeah, it, yeah that's cute. Like, no. Look how crazy they are. It's, that's no serious.
0: Yeah. They have to move from here to here in order for their lives and their, and their society to function. Um, and that's by the, by the way, that's incredibly in, uncommon. You'll see that in fishing villages where they're going, okay. you know, a mile down the road. You won't see that um, where there's like literally a thousand people in an intersection with motorbikes. Mm. You don't see that. You see helmets, leather jackets and gloves uh, in major cities.
1: So they're taking it seriously.
0: They, Just- to the extent that they can. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and what, what the other thing is like these, these economies out there, they're the fastest growing economies in the world. And we have one in four people in North America as a millennial, they have one in two. So an enormous number of young people with the same wants and needs that we have, everybody with a smartphone in their pocket, aspiring to be software developers or graphic designers or some kind of online remote work that pays well, that they can earn checks from other parts of the world. And because of that, these are the fastest growing middle-class economies in the world. And they're spending money, they're buying nicer motorbikes. They want smarter, safer products. They want what we want. It's just that nobody's yeah. nobody's offering anything to them. So
1: cool, and I've seen some of the things that your motorcycle can do. Some of uh, what is it called the the sensing capabilities? It has 360 degrees sensing. So what kinds of safety features have you built in that haven't existed before?
0: Yeah, so you know, to put it simply, we have the world's only collision warning system for motorcycles, and it's it's not unlike what you have in a car today, which has been around for. 20 years in cars believe it or not it's been around that long so there's a there's a camera right there there's a radar right there there's a camera and two radars in the back there's a seven inch lcd display that replaces your instrument cluster and so the cameras and the radars in the front uh warn you of a ford collision threat by vibrating the handlebar and then the the cameras and the radar on the front also warn you or in the back warn you of blind spot people in your blind spots with led lights in the windscreen and they also show you everything behind you by feeding the rear camera view to the display up in front of you, and, you know, between the handlebars of the bike, uh, and collectively we can actually lock on and track 64 moving objects simultaneously, the same way a fighter jet would like lock onto a target. And as soon as that quote unquote target is, is coming at you, it appropriately warns you and buys you one extra second to react.
1: Amazing. So how does that feel when you've obviously tested this extensively, you've ridden motorcycles for a very long time. I gather, how do you feel when you're on this bike versus other bikes? Do other ones feel stupid or more dangerous now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a bunch of things that feel different. So we've had 60, 70 local riders in Vancouver, try this bike, uh, and ride it. And we tell them nothing about how it works. And, uh, and that's, that's on purpose, right? We, if, if you can intuitively learn how it works by what it's alerting you to, then you've nailed it, right? From a user experience standpoint, it has to be a, just a total no-brainer. It can't be blipping and bleeping and reacting because that would be more distracting, not less. So uh, so yeah, we've had all these people try it and within 10 or 15 minutes, there's an incident. And that's pretty normal on a motorbike. You get cut off four times a day. Um, and of course the, the camera on the bike is recording the incident. It's also recording its reaction to the incident. And it's also recording what the human does in response to that reaction. And then we take all of that data back to the lab and we, we replay it and we're like, okay, the bike saw a car come out of an alley, the, the bike reacted to that car, it warned the rider, the rider reacted to that reaction and dodged the car. And, and so we have proof positive that the system works. Wow.
1: So yeah. if a car is coming, I'm gonna get a vibration on the right-hand side, if it's blind coming out of an alley, what would that feel like?
0: Well, in that case, it would be a forward collision warning, you kind of handlebars would vibrate. Okay. And that's the only time the handlebars vibrate. And it's a very, um, uh, visceral vibration. Like you yeah. can't deny it. Even if you're wearing thick leather gloves, you know, the handlebars are vibrating. So if you're like looking the lane change to the left, so you don't see that the alley to the right and a car comes in front of you, you will feel the car by way of that vibration in the handlebar. Even if your eyes are like looking the opposite direction in that moment. So to answer your question, what is it like? It's like you're superhuman. It's like you have eyes in every direction because the bike does and and you no longer doing this or pivoting your head all the time trying to stitch together the world around you what you do on a motorbike forget about the mirrors they're vibrating the mirrors blur everything on a motorbike um so you're no longer stitching the world around you behind you with by moving your head all the time you're instead looking forward and you intuitively know what's left what's right what's behind you in your peripheral vision with the blind spot led lights and with the lcd screen and, and because you can just keep your eyes forward, you think faster, you act faster, and you have more fun.
1: So cool. And I guess the desired reaction would be just hitting the brakes if it shakes. I mean, like I'm looking the yeah. other way. Yeah. Your just,
0: hands are right over the brake all the time anyway. Hit the brake. So you don't even have to turn your head forward. You can just need. Inne- you just know,
1: I need to be doing this. I need to be doing this. Even if I don't see this. something. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and
0: that saves a second. And the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority has tons of data that if motorcyclists and drivers had a quarter second extra reaction time vehicle accidents would drop 40 percent now we provide riders one extra like second yeah one like extra second. one extra second is what Huge. we provide and a quarter second drops accidents by 40 percent. so we're talking like thousands of people not dying a year with this kind of technology <laughs>
1: incredible well what i love is i love that you have this bigger goal and i'm a big fan of how i guess you could call it a trojan horse or a, a way of getting some bigger change to happen by way of a smaller change, right? So your right. your ultimate goal might be to get people off of fossil fuels and get them off of an oil dependency. But obviously that's not a very sexy ask in general of the average person. So you make something that looks really, really cool. It's It's a stunning bike that I would want regardless of whether it was better for the planet or not. I love things like that. What's the motivation behind making it fast, making it stylish? Is that your thought as well to... To get people interested in something they might not otherwise care about?
0: I mean, my first company in the elect in the tech space was fleet electric SUVs. There's nothing sexy about selling to municipalities. There's nothing no. sexy about selling <laughs> to facility <right>. companies, <laughs> government contracts and all of that. Um, yep. and so no, it's not, you know, do I like superbikes? Of course I do. But is that like there's no future in a superbike company? Um, so we're not a superbike company, despite the two superbikes you see beside me. Yeah. <laughs> um, to your point, they're a Trojan horse. And in, if you rewind uh, history, 14 years, when I founded uh, Rev Technologies, making electric SUVs, uh, Tesla was selling electric te- electric roadsters. And uh, now we know who won. You know, Selling yeah. electric roadsters wins all day long over selling fleet SUVs to the government, who, at the end of the day, you know, if natural gas prices get much cheaper, they're going from electric to natural gas. And that's exactly what happened. My company um, ended up uh, being uncompetitive cost-wise when natural gas prices fell 15 x And they were no longer interested in electric vehicles, they were interested in natural gas fleet vehicle conversions. So um, so I learned a lesson there. And then we saw the the rollout of the Nissan Leaf, the Chevy Volt, the Chevy Bolt, the Ford Focus, the Ford Fusion electric vehicles. Uh, every single one of those cars is is, has been discontinued because those cars are a compromise to an equivalent gas car that that the world already owns so if you're going to go from pretty good to less good in order to go from gas to electric it's game over for electric Mm. and tesla didn't do that tesla went from whatever you got a tesla s is better a roadster is better a y is better i mean my fiance's Y is 467 horsepower she's (laughs) What the hell? I know, but those it's ludicrous so speed. Much fun, they're right?
1: crazy. Yeah, I've been in one of yeah. those. Yeah, Man, I mean, it's yeah. like teleporting
0: ahead of yourself. It's amazing. right, um, and that's exciting. And humans are emotional creatures, and the car is the most emotional purchase in the world that you'll make because you'll do twelve of them a year on average. Uh, excuse me, twelve of them in your lifetime. Hmm. And so that's a very emotional purchase. Some motorcycles, you know, even more emotional. You know, the the sense of identity that you derive from buying a motorbike is is a big part of motorcycling. Uh, And so if we're not better than every gas motorcycle on planet earth, we're not going to displace gas motorcycles in the hundreds of thousands or millions. And so that's where we have to begin. We have to begin at the top of the pyramid and then work this technology down to mainstream low cost bikes worldwide.
1: Well, it's also interesting, the point you made about natural gas, because certainly in the United States in the coming years and decades, natural gas will probably be cheap or at least roughly similar. But in the rest of the world, it's going to be a huge, huge problem. So a lot of the megacities that you cited, they're not going to have cheap natural gas in the next 10, 20 years, or it's very yeah. unlikely, I would say.
0: And and even, you know, they do have cheaper electricity, but even that's not super cheap.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting that you are thinking, would you say that the global market is your primary market or what's your primary primary market today is
0: California. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's where I'm at. (laughs) There you go. You got to order one. And that's why I'm uh, here. (laughs) I think until 2020, until 2020, 75% of Tesla's shipments were in California.
1: Whoa. I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: There was that level of saturation. In Vancouver, one in five car sales is in Tesla today. Okay. I mean, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You do so, see him, Tes- remember, yeah, yeah. And Tesla has has just under three quarters of the world electric vehicle market now. Okay. And wow. so you you start where the early adopters are, right? Early adopters who buy premiums, high tech, high performance products, and that's this guy right here on my left going to California first. Um, now we have orders. We have twenty seven hundred orders, growing at a couple hundred a month. Uh, we have orders from all over the world: South Africa, Indonesia, Australia, Japan, the UK. I mean, everywhere. Italy. Um, but the vast majority of orders are coming out of California, and, and, the, the, and all of our marketing is concentrated on the U.S. So that okay. we can deliver service, maintain support, you know, our early customers in the first in 2023 when we start
1: building. That makes sense. Are you uh, by chance a MotoGP fan? I suppose you I must am. be. Okay, but I'm yeah. a huge MotoGP fan. I got roped into it by a buddy of mine, and then got addicted some years ago, five <laughs> six years ago. <laughs> It gives me a heart attack to watch it (laughs) It's every time. It's the most stressful thing. It's so funny if you watch MotoGP and then you switch over to Formula One. Formula One just looks pathetic in comparison, I feel. It's just so, so, so less interesting because it's all these big clunky cars. They can't maneuver, and then you watch motorcycles, and it's just nuts. One person, one machine, one body. So I'm a huge fan of that. But the eco-friendly environmental person to me has never been a fan of motorsports in their current form because of what you said. It's kind of glorifying the endless waste of gas and fossil fuels for really no purpose except for entertainment. So Moto E, super exciting to me. I look forward to the day when MotoGP and all of the professional race sports are done on electric vehicles. Do you think that that's something that will happen in our well, lifetime?
0: We're in discussions with certain parties.
1: Because that... I would much rather watch MotoGP or whatever the premier class is called with an e-bike than with a gas guzzler. And yeah.
0: So, so there is MotoE. E. I don't know if you've watched it. And, no, I, I have, I have, and yeah. it's
1: it's not there yet, obviously. But it's it's, it's still getting there, and it's very yeah. exciting to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's equivalent to like a 400 cc bike in terms of speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not there yet, and and you know, and that's because the company that supplies that bike and uh, and you know, all other electric motorcycles before Damon. Um, quite frankly, never raised the capital needed or maybe I should say, maybe they didn't aspire to build something that displaced a gas motorcycle. They probably didn't. Well, not probably. I know they didn't believe the technology was ready and it, it actually wasn't ready. It wasn't ready until Damon conceived of it and developed it, where we redeveloped a motor from scratch. We developed a battery pack from scratch. The battery pack that you see in here is a structural chassis. It's the bike. If I take the plastic off and you see hyperdrive, it's the hyperdrive battery pack and motor combo is the motorcycle. It is the frame. It is the battery pack and it's all one, uh, all the electronics, the charger, the DC, DC converter, the power inverter, all of that is developed, you know, chip by chip by chip from scratch right here in this room. Um, and because of that, we were able to massively increase the energy and power density while reducing weight. I mean, nobody's had to make such a tiny motor before because there's lots more room under the hood of a car. Um, and so by doing that, we were able to get the weight down to, a, to the similar to a gas motorbike and get the power and energy up to similar of a gas motorbike so that we could actually, you know, compete on par.
1: Amazing. So a few years ago, I don't know if you remember this, maybe two years ago, maybe three. Obviously, the first race of the MotoGP circuit is uh, Qatar, I believe. And uh, there was a paddock of Moto e-bikes and it mysteriously caught fire, all of them. And there was some speculation as to whether or not that was deliberate. Do you face opposition or active opposition from fossil fuel type companies? Or have you not had to deal with anything like that?
0: Um, I don't think it's going to be. So uh, I think a few years ago, we'd probably be facing that opposition. I think the writing's on the wall in ways that maybe they do or don't want to admit. Writing's on the wall. By 2030, everybody better have an electric motorbike. Uh, and even still, like, like the CEO of Ducati is on the record saying um, that 10% of their fleet, he said this in March of this year, 10% of their fleet will be electric or uh, or renewable fuel. Now, they are owned by Porsche, and Porsche is working on a renewable fuel, a synthetic fuel that is that will use solar energy in order to produce it. So it's renewable fuel, but it's still liquid fuel. So what he's really saying is, um, is majority of their vehicles by 2030 90% of them will still be gas 10% of them will be electric and or renewable fuel which mm. really means renewable fuel right um, they have zero technology developed at, at ducati making electric motorbikes right uh, and and they and these are older older people who believe in gear changing and they believe in the sounds and the vibration and the combustion and the excitement of of the drivetrain and they've got millions and millions and millions of dollars invested over decades in their technology and their supply chain is, is wed to it. Their supply chain contracts go out 10, 20 years into the future. They can't just stop buying tie rods and, or push rods and, and camshafts and whatever the hell you find in a combustion engine. And their customer is not necessarily interested in electric. But I told you before about millennials and, and Gen Z's. My son is you know, a Gen Z and uh, they don't, they've never driven a gas car. Or they've never learned how to change gears in a gas car. And it's True. intimidating to learn to change gears in a gas car. They don't like vibration. They don't like changing gears. It's the last thing they want to do on a motorbike. That makes motorbikes even more intimidating. And they True. want smartphone integration. And they want safety. And they've got helicopter parents who worry about their well-being. And GPS follow them everywhere. They're a different breed of human. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. want gas motorbikes. And and the and the OEM stuff today just haven't gotten that yet. Yeah. And I, And because they're led more. by 50 to 60-year-old dudes, they're probably not going to get it.
1: That's interesting. Well, that's that's why you're here. (laughs) So exactly. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's an incredible concept. And obviously, both the product as a standalone product is awesome, but also what it represents is awesome. And the global focus is awesome. So let's rewind a little bit. So let's talk about the unusual crazy path that got you to this point in your life. I know you're somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, you hinted at some other businesses that you had earlier describe to me the journey did you go to school did you finish school did you drop out how did you begin this process and what are those twists and turns along the way
0: yeah yes to everything you just said (laughs) i finished school and i dropped out in the the other order i dropped out and then i finished school okay Um, well so i don't know um it is quite literally in my in my nature um it Like in my teenage years, I noticed that I, I had a compulsion, and that's the right word. There's no less word to use than that. I had a compulsion to do the opposite of what other people did. Um, I don't know why, and I didn't know why then. I didn't know why. Um, I just felt a need to do the opposite of what other people did. And and I grew up in a very rough part of Vancouver, which sounds so stupid, but there used to be a very, very rough part of Vancouver. There isn't really anymore. Um, where everybody was, uh, we, were all, we all had divorced parents, and we were all hanging out at at 7-Eleven and McDonald's at two in the morning, every night after school. Uh, And everybody was doing lots of drugs and getting into tons of street fights, Uh, really unbelievable street fights. Uh, And I was always witness to all of it, but I never wanted to participate in any of it. And I I felt, I found myself interested in observing all of them. I was always sort of at a distance observing the behavior. You know, uh, 30 guys would rush into a store and steal everything because they would overwhelm security. Like lots of shit we saw, Uh, I saw but I never wanted to be part of any of it. I just wanted to understand what they were all about. And the more they went that way, the more I wanted to go the other way, Um, to the point where in grade 11, uh, nobody was really interested in in class whatsoever. And I found it such a waste of time to try to be interested in class when all of these teenagers around me were so distracted from it that I dropped out. And I had three jobs at the time. I was in grade 11 and I had three out of delivering newspapers in the morning, working at a grocery store in the afternoon and working at a, a, a coffee shop. Uh, and then, so I dropped out and I got, I took one of those jobs and made it a full-time job. And then I went to, out to adult night school to finish my grade 11 and 12 um, while working full-time. And I moved out at the time as well. So I moved out at 17. Um, and then, and then uh, I forgot that I wanted to be a professional snowboarder. I got so busy running coffee shops. I was managing two and selling franchises at the age of 19. And I forgot that my dream was actually to move to Whistler, BC to pursue professional snowboarding. So I quit everything at 20, moved to Whistler, and got my first sponsors a few months later. Um, Competed amateur for a year and a half, competed pro for a few more years. Uh, Started traveling the world, made no money, but made ends meet. In between all of that and during the off seasons, I had, I mean, literally dozens of jobs. I think I've counted 90, 90 jobs, averaging four months per job. Okay. So ask, pick, pick a job. I've had it. I've done it. And and I'd either get bored of the job because I'd learn how the system works and it would get boring to me, uh, and I'd quit, or the snowboard season would begin and I'd have to quit. Um, and so I'd work, you know, odd jobs to just save up money to get ready for the following seasons, uh, to pay my pay my way to you know events and stuff like that to compete. And uh, became top ten in Canada, top one hundred in the world in, yeah, in a couple Amazing. of different disciplines. Very very brief status okay. that nobody knows about, but very brief status. Um, uh and then uh and then in 2003 when i was nursing some injuries i saw the iraq war on cnn and uh and i saw everybody talk about freedom 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 what a load of shit it was all about oil and uh <laughs> and i'm like oh, we got to get the world off oil this is insane and so i spent the next five years trying to figure out how to get the world off oil while selling motorbikes at a dealership and managing that dealership uh learning all of the things that are incredibly wrong with car dealerships and motorcycle dealerships. Oh, kidding. Uh, yeah. So I just bought a Jeep from a dealership two days ago and, and it was still in 2022. Fun the times. Worst, worst experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Jeeps, but my God, this was the worst experience. You gotta love it. I bought a plug-in hybrid Jeep, by the way. Okay. And so it runs on electricity. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just, uh, I don't have a good answer for why. I have to do things opposite everyone else, but I did eventually learn how incredibly lucrative it is to do that. How you, you have less competition around you. You have, you have white space, you have fresh ideas, you have, you, you know more than everybody else because you're doing what others aren't doing. So your, your insights and your perspectives, um, are, are so much more plentiful than everybody knowing and doing the same thing.
1: Mm. And
0: while it didn't make life easy by any stretch, I've been poor my whole life. Um, it. And I'm not today, but you know, it, it, it gave me such an enormous amount of learning, the range of which things that I have learned and the depth of things by doing everything on my own, follow, following the path less traveled, reverse engineering everything to figure out how to, how to get ahead uh, and having to teach myself is, is a lot of, uh, of growth that I've never met anybody else who that has that. And I found myself in my last two tech companies. Um, Maybe idolizing is too strong of a word, but looking up to people with way more experience than me and mm. people 20 years by senior that work for me, board members and VPs and stuff like that, um, only to find out that, that virtually none of them have their lives together and, 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 and had some success because of other people and things in their past. It wasn't necessarily their own. And to realize that I got to stop looking at other people, uh, and I never did as a teenager. I never wanted to be so and so pro snowboarder. I didn't want to idolize or be like anyone else. I wanted to be me. I didn't believe in role models. Um, I, I still don't. And uh, and it's only I've only learned over the years how important it is to just deeply listen to yourself and uh, take advice, but learn what to leave behind and uh, and just carve your own your own trail. Man, it's hard, it. but it's Every worth it in that. the long run.
1: That's that's such a fabulous story, and obviously that's how you ended up here. So I think these days especially, people look at tech, and they see uh, this big behemoth, so many massive trillion-dollar companies. It's very exciting to a lot of people, also kind of terrifying to a lot of people. And I think we as individuals tend to feel the tech companies are out there. I'm just one person. I might have a desire to get us off fossil fuels, but I wouldn't even know where to begin How did you go about the process of beginning that process when you had the idea to get the world off fossil fuels?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's trite, but you begin by beginning. And that is the only truth in all of this. It's only truism. You begin by beginning. And as soon as you begin, you keep going. And that's it. And there will be times, days, months, years, where you're not sure if you're going the right direction but but if you're moving you're moving forward. And that's it. Um and and that is you know it's the it's 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 physics. It, getting something to move from inertia is the hardest thing to do. Whether it's like moving yourself forward with an idea or getting, you know, a ton of steel to move forward by putting a drivetrain behind it. It's hard. You need torque. Uh and uh and you know maybe torque in the human spirit is is persistence and willpower. Uh, and if you don't have that, you, you just won't go. Um, if you want things to be easier, if you want things to be comfortable, if you want others to do things for you, if you want excuses to win over desire, you won't have that torque. You won't have that the ability to overcome inertia. Um, and so you have to get past all of that, all of your reasons why not, all of your fears, um, and sometimes just just simply taking an action despite your fear is the is the is what you need the seed of, of the momentum that you need um in the case of me specifically um you know when i had the idea to get the world off oil i wanted to import other people's electric cars in 2007 and create a national chain of dealerships because i just run dealerships for a year and i figured out all the things they were doing wrong which is a very long list mm-hmm. um, and thought we could do way better and uh by by and i and i swore to myself at the end of 2007 these were the words "Come hell or high water i'll put an electric car on the road in 2008 and by march 2008 i found out that all the companies making electric cars on the internet were all vaporware i mean they were aspiring to be real companies but they weren't yet and nobody could ship me an electric car i there were no one could offer me distribution in canada because they they didn't yet they weren't yet ready um, miles ev and coda and, and, and a whole list of them you know uh, they're all gone today by the way except tesla so then uh come march 2008 i thought oh my god i'm gonna have to do it myself And because I promised myself something and I wasn't going to, you know, I I declared that who I am is transportation transformed. That's who I am. Uh, And I'll spend the rest of my life fulfilling upon that mission because I realized that that would be a good life, a life to die for. At the end of it all, look back on that, be like, all right, I put everything into that, whether I made it or not. So, so with, with like who I am at stake in March, 2008, I realized I'd have to build the, the vehicle myself. And that meant learning how to raise money, Learning how to hire people, build in hire engineers, deciding what we were going to build, you know, and so we built an electric Ford Ranger conversion with a DC drive system and lead acid batteries, you know, fifteen hundred pounds of lead acid batteries in the trunk, and I started driving it around, and like that, what it was like to drive an electric car was super motivating. So that led to an AC drive electric SUV with lithium-ion, which led to um, onboard power inverters, which led to feeding energy back into the power grid, which led to stabilizing military bases all over the US, which led to you know commercially bidding energy into the wholesale market with the Midwest ISO and Chrysler in Detroit, which led to um, more of that, which led to natural gas prices falling, which led to shipping my, all my shareholders from Rev to Mojo and eventually to here amazing one one brutal step after another
1: one brutal step after another what's the what's the overall timeline on that how many years are we talking about
0: well rev was four years 2007 so yeah 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 14 years 14 15
1: years years of this journey uh would you say that there were a handful of years where you thought what the hell am i doing this is all a waste of time it's all a bad idea no because
0: all of it wasn't all of it was forwarding the mission so because you and had so, a mission,
1: you were able yeah. to contextualize the hardship and the pain and say, I know why totally I'm doing right. this. And that made yeah. it feel okay when things didn't go your way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, often, things don't go your way, but, um, but you just keep going. And, you know, there's days where I just want to not work today. Uh, those days aren't very often. And I think Steve Jobs said it. Like, if you have too many of those days, it's time to change. But you can have some. You're going to have some.
1: Yeah. Look in the mirror. And if you're not looking forward to what you're going to do. Yeah, for too many days it's and that's and kind of I think that's out. the default state of most humans. Like you said, the often path, the, the road yeah. more commonly traveled. That's the default state of most working both Americans and I think maybe people in the world.
0: Yeah, so Yeah, I think I think following the different path is incredibly important. And I love that this is the focus of your podcast. I don't think yeah. entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurship is far overly uh, idolized. Yeah. It's just not for everybody, it's probably for 1% of people and, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, there's way easier, more comfortable, maybe even happier lives to live than this one. Uh, but it's also super rewarding. It is super rewarding. And and, and I say that only because it, it's it's necessary for me to do this. It's not necessary for others to do this, to have a rewarding, fruitful life.
1: Yeah, so true. Well, what I think is fascinating is that you said transportation transformed, that is who you are, and you identified with this mission. I think that's so cool because a lot of people struggle with identifying what is this thing that I could die for? What is this cause that I could dedicate 20, 30, 40 years of my life to and be happy without doubting it? Uh, Were there ever alternatives? I mean, you've done some different things in your life. How did you realize that this specific thing was you?
0: Well, in, in 03, when I was watching the the uh, Patriot missiles, as they're lovingly called, blow the crap out of Baghdad. Um, and I had somebody correct me and say they weren't blowing up Baghdad, they're shooting down Scud missiles. Okay, but a lot of Baghdad got hit. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I spent five years trying to figure out what it meant to get the world. What, how could a snowboarder help get the world off oil? And frankly, like, you know, I won't get 1% of 1% of 1% of the world off oil at the end of this. <laughs> But it, it, But it's all part of a contribution of thousands of people on that mission, right? Um, and so like studying solar and wind and alternative energy and E85 ethanol and and, and corn fuel and and learning more about drivetrains for gas and electric and learning about, um, you know, wave and tidal energy. And I just studied it all on the internet. I just spent time for five years just... Saturating myself and everything, and my conclusion was: we should be producing our own energy on the roof, and we should be putting it into our house and our cars. Some of us will be net producers on one day, and others of us will be net consumers on another. And my extra, my excess energy should be stored in my car and shared with you next door when you're when you have a, a when you have a a gap in energy needs, and I have a surplus, which will change every day depending on which way your roof faces and how much sun your solar is absorbing and how many kilowatt of solar generation you can produce and so on and so on and so on. And then it became, how do we, how do we, where do we begin? And, and I, I, you know, but from selling cars, I, I know that people say the house is the most emotional purchase you make. I argue that it's the car, because um, you you get seen out in the world in your car and you buy more of them than you buy homes in your lifetime. And so, and I know we're more, we're far more emotional creatures than rational. So hook people into a cleaner future with the car. And that's why I started Rev so good.
1: It seems to be as well that people don't, like you said, you're, I, you drove this car. There's a bunch of batteries in the back, and that unlocked something that you feel. I bet a lot of people would experience something similar. Let's say you have solar panels on your roof. Your car is electric-powered. Motorcycles, electric-powered. You have e-bikes, maybe, for around town, electric-powered. You're able to produce the majority of the electricity that you need with your own house, And then you're able to do like if the world collapses, you're still mobile. Right. How cool is that? So, oh, gas prices are $14 a gallon. Who cares? Because I can still get 200 miles on my motorcycle with just my solar power. And if you grow food in your backyard, if you there are even devices that are out there now, that you can collect water from air, just, you know, turning into drinkable water. And when you think about that, imagine that self-contained lifestyle. How cool is that? And y- you have so much of the freedoms that you're so afraid of losing in the event of a global collapse just by structuring your life differently and by making different purchases today. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> yes, they, they gotta make solar a lot sexier. First of all, True. most people don't, don't live in a home. That's problem number yeah. one. Only like, like 25% of the world lives in, in, in a house. And second sure. of all, you know, even though Germany can produce a ton of, of solar energy, despite being a, a inclement weather and same with Vancouver, um, the you know we don't have enough square footage if we do have a roof uh, a roof may not be pointing in the right direction and subsidies blah blah you know solar's come way way down but uh, the other problem then is like the average car is still 5,000 pounds if it was 2,000 pounds because it couldn't crash you wouldn't need a 5,000 pound steel car um, and then there, then you would need exponentially less energy from your roof which means you need less rooftop and so on and so on so we still have an equation problem in the amount of energy you can produce on a a roof and the amount of power your car needs to go from a to b so we need lighter smaller vehicles aka motorbikes right um, which are going to come in much higher droves in north america too because the cost of living is just not going to get cheaper Uh, and and the convenience of a motorbike and parking i mean it takes half your commute time to park your car in downtown San Francisco. It takes about half an hour to park a car on average in San Francisco. and And people spend half an hour getting there and then half an hour looking for a parking spot. So we're gonna get to levels of congestion in the Western world that is already normal in the rest of the world. In the majority of the world, this problem's already acute. And that's gonna change the form factor of the vehicle we drive. And I don't believe shrinking the car is the answer. Smart car was a good attempt, but it's not the answer. It's actually improving the safety uh, and the convenience of a motorcycle is the answer, because it's already the most driven vehicle in the world. And when you have four-fifths of the world today is not motorized, four-fifths of people on planet Earth have yet to become motorized, and they will as these these developing countries become middle-class economies. They're not rushing to buy Teslas. They're going to rush to buy a safer, smarter, convenient two or three-wheel vehicle that is takes takes up no more space than they do right when i sit on this bike i still occupy no more space than the width of my shoulders and and that's the that's the answer and that's the future um i'm probably not going to be around for that future you know that's 25 35 year long mission for damon to get to that picture i just described um but i'm going to set it in motion
1: and obviously you need to be because people see this now I see the product now and I think that's cool. Maybe I should do something like that. But the fact is it's been a 14-year road to get to here. These things take time. So yeah. It's, yeah. you it's have to set it up now. And thank God you did to to so that 14 years from now we'll have a different conversation while right. Ducati is uh, in the garbage can apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine yeah, there'll eventually.
0: There will always be a market for sexy sport bikes. That's true. Yeah. There will be and people And will go
1: until they go away. Yeah. Yeah. So, with with the breadth of experience you have, obviously you didn't get a degree in, I assume, like engineering or any of these highly technical fields, but you had a wide range of experience. You said that you felt that that helped you. Have you ever felt hindered by not taking a more traditional path? Have you ever felt like I wish I had a PhD in mechanics? I,
0: I, I, I wish I, I wish I enjoyed the the, the uh, social aspect of college. Everybody tells me how much fun that was, and I've. I don't think i've i've never even really set foot on a college ground in my life uh. just seen it in movies and friends telling me that it's as good as they say it, as they show up in the movies so i i missed out i i have not other than snowboarding and motorbiking which is a ton of fun i have not concentrated much on a social life
1: fair enough well i can confirm that it is a lot of fun but
0: <laughs> damn it <laughs>
1: so is a cruise ship right it's like four years of being on a cruise it's a very—it's expensive fun. It's really expensive fun if you're paying the bill. Certainly in America, it's pushing eighty grand a year now for tuition. So yeah. if you want to have four wow. years of fun for a cool half million dollars U.S., then go for it. Uh, there's a lot yeah, of no, ways I, to waste money, but yeah. I think the educational aspect—I'm sad to say—is something of an afterthought.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, I think honestly, um, not being conformed is is a huge part of my benefit of my my success is is having not been conformed and so i i and i despise conformity if that says anything
1: it it does and i think the fear that people have of embracing those things there's so much fear we have these desires of what we want to do and then we have fear of i'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage or my rent next month when it comes to getting funding that is a very scary concept to a lot of people because they think, who am I? Who's going to trust me if I say, oh, give me 10 million dollars or, you know, you've, you've recently attracted several tens of millions of dollars for this endeavor. Uh, how did that go? Did people not take you seriously day one? What what did it take to convince people that you were the person to do this?
0: Um Yeah, I mean, if we go right back to day one, I mean, the first four or five months of, of fundraising, there was a group in Vancouver, a group of angel investors that definitely did not take this company seriously. Well, I'm sure they took me seriously because I, I'm a known quantity in, in the entrepreneurial world here, but they didn't take the, the aspiration seriously. Um, and uh, well, they should have, <laughs> they would have made a, I mean, the valuation was 3 million then and, and they would have made gobs of money. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was too big for probably not it was certainly not too big for silicon valley but unfortunately i don't live there uh it was definitely too big for vancouver and uh and you know today we're we're nearly completed the build of a hundred thousand square foot factory you know where we're going to be building forty thousand bikes a year one day um and so we've certainly dispelled the myth that damon was a good idea um but yes we had to break it up so we actually chopped the idea down into the collision warning system focus first which has its own consequences. It, it, it drove investors and shareholders to expect us to be a tier one to the OEMs. that We should sell components to them. And I already knew why that wasn't going to work, but um, it was a whole other conversation. But, uh, but we had to break the idea down into smaller chunks that were digestible so that we could raise the capital and get rolling.
1: That, that, that does bring up an interesting point about physical location. You talk about Silicon Valley, you are in Vancouver. We don't often talk about somebody's physical location when it comes to bringing an idea about. So, does how does it matter? How do you think people should think about it? Like, if I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, and I want to build a company, should I be thinking about moving to a new place, or how do you uh, feel Ohio about Ohio has
0: a has an exploding tech community? Okay, so and so uh, there's some Ohio's great there. Ohio's good. Okay, um, but uh, I was just but and, and 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 I don't know. I've I've been. Um, Teetering on the edge of moving Silicon Valley several times in the last 14 years. Interesting. Out of out of what I believed was like necessity to to succeed, to move the company forward and raise capital. Um, I haven't had to, and so now I know I won't, I, I don't have to ever. Um, and I've got kids, so that would have been a, another challenge. But uh, uh, and I don't. I still don't think Silicon Valley is the answer. But yeah, you're going to raise money way easier there, way easier.
1: So it does. So the stereotypes are true basically and you're going to get higher
0: valuations which you know uh and raise larger gobs of money and you're going to pay 40 to 80 percent more for salaries and um and all of that may not be a good thing is what i'm going to tell you i mean i in in 08 to 14 there were um there were i don't know 100 companies making electric vehicle charging stations and a whole bunch of them raised half a billion dollars and raised um, you know tons of money from the doe and, uh, and this one company called Chargepoint raised the least of all of them and got no money from the DOE and today Chargepoint is the network you use in North America mm. and so it wasn't the surplus of capital and the and the heyday that made them successful was the opposite it was struggle so I, and I it, as you've heard from my story like struggle pays off man it pays yeah. off so just like stick with it don't, don't think it that chasing the money is going to be the answer because it's not
1: so cool. Man, I'm really glad I got to sit down and talk with you. I love all of the points you've been making. Like I I had a feeling before we began this was going to be a great interview and now you've confirmed all of that. It's just <laughs> Thank you. Such a wide range of I mean so many good points you brought up so far and really admirable the way that you've thought about this and the way you've struggled. So the theme of this episode has been doing counterintuitive things, going against the grain. Is there a piece of advice or a maxim or a motto that you follow that you feel like most people wouldn't follow or that's the opposite of what generally people think?
0: Yeah, probably just like confront the hard things and do them. You know, whatever that is, don't avoid the hard stuff because the payoff is in the hard stuff. The payoff's not in the easy stuff. It's not like the world is like... You know, and humans are 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 wired for comfort. That's a instinctual necessity for our survival. We're wired for comfort. Like I get it, but but you're not gonna get growth and payoff in that in that. You're gonna get it in facing the hard stuff. So just do it. Yeah.
1: I love that. And I have one other question. How does somebody know if an idea is a good enough idea?
0: Because they can't rest if they don't do it. Ah, nice. As crazy as they always are, I mean, trust me. When you're a snowboarder and you want to make electric cars, and you're telling the general manager of a of a car dealership that you have to quit on Christmas Day because you have to go chase this idea to make electric cars, and you're crying in front of him before Christmas, and you're not, you don't know how you're going to pay rent on January first, and your girlfriend's pregnant, it's you know, you feel fucking crazy. Um, I told him that, and instead of thinking I was crazy, his mouth was dropped the whole time. And he, trust me, is like the oldest guy you've seen in a car dealership, white hair, big, you know, football rings on all his fingers, like, like gold everywhere, classic car dealership guy. And instead he told me, I've been thinking about building electric cars for 20 years and I never had the courage to do it. And I still felt crazy after that for another year.
1: So you quit first.
0: I quit selling cars so I could start that company. Yeah, Even but it wasn't—it wasn't, it wasn't was like dead.
1: you were building them on the side and then you say, "Okay, this thing's going now." I'm going to. go I, I you said, "Nope, I, I got to go all in right now, no matter what's coming around the bend."
0: There was, there was, yeah, I was having, I was having um, severe migraine headaches for, for the six months leading up to that. Um, every time I set off, set foot on the dealership floor selling cars, uh, and I'd never had headaches in my life, and uh, so my body, after five years of thinking about it and planning it, was was breaking down if I didn't do it you got to get out of here but that was, like bad. It was saying. crazy yeah. you gotta
1: listen or you're gonna have a heart attack or yeah it was weird god knows was, what kind of something's bad's yeah. coming
0: yeah and i was only 29 and my girl, my ex-girlfriend was pregnant you know the month before and oh, and man. i didn't have money for rent on january 1st let alone christmas presents and it was just like it was hard it was Fun. like i cried in front of my boss at 29 years old it was pathetic yeah but But here you are like he had this look on his face like oh my god i've wanted to do this my whole life you had the guts to do it the last the last like stereotypically this this guy's face you would never have guessed he was a car guy all the way
1: but i suppose that's the way it often is it takes those people who have courage i mean i won't say you know what is a hero right somebody who does something different than what everybody else is and i think there's a lot of people who have these things inside of them that many times in the tragic case, they take to their grave sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing right there.
0: Like I, I did this course called the landmark forum in 2005 and uh, like it, it confronts you with everything. And then one big thing is like, Hey, you're going to die. So get with that. And when you really get with that, that you're going to die, well, then now what, now, what do you want your life to be about? And you work from there, you know like in was it tom collins or jim collins mm-hmm. good to great uh you write your eulogy when you write when you read that book i wrote my eulogy in like i don't know 96 or something yeah. um, when i was 20 and you know you write your eulogy what do you want people to say about you when you're lying in that box that's a that's a place to come from and when you come from the end it changes who you are today <laughs>
1: Uh, yet another profound piece of advice as we wrap up the hour. I could think of no better way to uh, to close things out. I think, again, just boom, 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 boom. So many excellent things for those paying attention. A lot that I'm going to chew on from this episode, that's for sure. So, again, I thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to the success of your company and seeing where you go from here. It's just super fascinating. I can't wait to hear about these nudge nudge wink wink secret deals that may be coming on the horizon i look forward to to seeing your name out there more and more uh, i have a personal interest in that as well so awesome. uh, any last parting words anything you want to promote i'll leave the floor to you anything you want to say anything you want to direct people to this last bit is all you and you can close <laughs> yeah. the show for us
0: oh well, thank you um i actually desperately want to hear from everybody like people who love Damon or are interested or want to help or have ideas or want to order a bike or want to give me, you know, a suggestion for the product. uh, I'm at Jay Giro, J-A-Y-G-I-R-A-U-D on Twitter and Instagram. I don't use Facebook because it's crap and uh, and LinkedIn at Jay Giro on LinkedIn. And uh, you should order a bike and think about the future when it's safer. You can actually have fun on two wheels. So Damon.com, D-A-M-O-N. And uh, I hope to hear from you guys. That's it. Thank you.
1: All right, thank you, Jay. And with that, the official podcast is over.